Hello, welcome to the Healing of Emotional Wounds podcast series. My name is Alan Mulhern. Some announcements. Firstly, as many of you are by now aware, this season of podcasts on the healing of emotional wounds will be ending shortly. I intend to give a question and response session for this episode and the next. Well, I will ask the questions and then I will give the responses. And then I will have the final podcast, which I've decided will be on the secret of the golden flower and its relationship to depth psychology, especially that of Carl Jung, who provided an extensive commentary to its publication in German in 1929. The Secret of the Golden Flower is an ancient Taoist text, translated by Richard Wilhelm in the 1920s. Jung, in this period, was deeply involved in esoteric research on alchemy, Gnosticism, mythologies of all descriptions, and even Oriental mysticism. It seems, at first glance, far away from psychotherapy, but Jung was to provide unique insight into linking such ancient arts to the depth psychology he was formulating. So, our final podcast in this series, the one after next, will examine the spiritual practice of the Far East and its relationship to psychotherapy. If you have got this far with these podcasts, I am confident you will find it very interesting. Incidentally, The Secret of the Golden Flower is an ancient Chinese meditation text. At one point, It suggests a 100-day meditation exercise. And Richard Wilhelm, the translator, said, The followers of this method achieved almost without exception the central experience. Accordingly, a number of us on the Quest programme have just started doing half-an-hour meditation each morning at 7am and are studying in detail this text as we progress through the next 100 days. This programme, this meditation exercise, is now open to all who may find it spiritually useful, and you may wish to join us. There is no charge for this. Emails will be sent every week guiding one on the journey, and a summary will be provided of the secret of the golden flower. One does not have to do exactly the 100 days, and the 7am suggestion is not a requirement. And by the way, it is 7am in your own time zone, not that of London, where I happen to live. You may contact me at thepilgrimquest at gmail.com or find contact details at www.alanmulhern.com. You may also be aware that a new season of podcasts will then begin, which will be under a changed title, The Quest with Alan Mulhern. This is an examination of the world's great visionaries with special emphasis on the evolving crises of the 21st century. This may also seem a long way from the Healing of Emotional Wounds series that you are now listening to, but this series is concerned with the micro, while the quest will deal with the macro aspects. This present series explains how the crisis of individuals are healed at the personal level, especially in therapy, while the quest will examine the evolving collective crises of our times. Healing suggestions will also be offered for the collective experience. We now reach the final stages of this season. Those of you who follow these podcasts closely may remember that the introductory podcast 
mentioned the motivation that led me to write the book on healing intelligence and therefore led to these talks. And there was an unanswered question in the conference many years ago when I was a freshly qualified Jungian analyst. When I asked a group of senior analysts, what is healing in psychotherapy? I received the answer, that is the $64,000 question. And if I had the answer to it, the senior analyst replied, I would retire to the hills of Hollywood. These remaining podcasts on healing intelligence will expand this unanswered question into a series of other questions which flow from it, each one followed by some reflections. It will have a format like a conference in which questions are posed and replies are given. It will help the listener to find briefer and more available material on the numerous questions that have come to mind, as well as providing space for reflection on wider matters. Undoubtedly, this satisfies my long-standing frustration at not having an answer so many years ago to my original question, how does healing work in psychotherapeutic practice? I can thus narcissistically compensate for the rebuff I received by providing my own grandiose answers. However, to confess, given the symbolic nature, inherent complexity and elusiveness of the topic, my initial question and subsequent search has really turned into a longer series of other questions, each of which could be broken down into further questions themselves. Let me add the obvious. The $64,000 answer will never be given. But like the pearl of great price, it can, I suggest, be intuited, experienced and approximated. Our knowledge in this field is necessarily limited. One can only reach so far into the unconscious, like wading out from the shore of an ocean. First question, what is an emotional wound? This is an area of intense, localised, that is in one part of the psyche, emotional suffering with a restrictive, debilitating, or possibly crippling effect upon the psyche. In severe cases, social and intimate relationships, as well as behavioural functioning, may be impaired. It may be unconscious, or only partially known. It can turn into a complex, becoming a predictable and intense emotional reaction to certain triggers. In some cases, such as severe borderline conditions, the wound may not be localised but more globalised throughout the psyche, thus presenting a more serious condition. Second, what is healing intelligence? No doubt, neurobiological research will continue to throw light on all aspects of the human psyche, including that of healing intelligence. But such work will do little, I suspect, to elucidate the thing in itself. Belonging to the symbolic realm, it is observed in its manifestation. It has to be experienced, not simply understood. To my way of thinking, it is almost impossible to think of the life process without this intelligence. All life forms possess it in the form of self-renewal, self-repair and healing mechanisms. It is not a luxury in evolution, but a necessity. Life would not survive without it. Exactly the same applies to our bodies. Healing intelligence, operating in numerous ways, is everywhere in the biological system, is it not? Integrated in the fabric of genes and cells throughout the body. In the case of healing at a biological level, 
At first glance, this may appear understandable. A cut stimulates the liver, which produces proteins to clot blood. A life-saving program. However, on closer inspection, many healing functions of the body have mysterious, almost miraculous qualities. How the brain can sometimes repair itself, or how DNA may heal its damaged information system, for instance. At higher levels in the human psyche, however, healing is not predictable, depending as it does on the cooperation of consciousness, which cannot be guaranteed. Healing in its emotional and spiritual functioning expresses itself in love as well as illuminative intuition, two of the most powerful forces in the human psyche. Yet, they can be very difficult to access. Healing intelligence, inbuilt, reparative, compensatory and purposive, is a manifestation of the wholeness of the psyche and its natural functioning. It is facilitated by a healthy, strong potency in individual areas, as well as in the total integrative functioning of the psyche. It is helped by a positive attitude of consciousness towards the deeper psyche. How does healing intelligence work? Emotional wounds are usually within certain parts of the psyche, rather than being globalised. I find it useful to locate these in the imaginal body, emotions as they manifest in body centres. The chakra image of numerous centres is useful at this point. Presuming the repressive apparatus of the ego has been diminished, there are at least six ways in which healing intelligence manifests itself. Firstly, wounded areas of the healthy psyche may self-heal. Second, wounded areas may be helped to heal by other areas of the psyche. Thirdly, a healthy area may compensate for another area which is wounded, thereby providing some rebalancing and healing for the psyche as a whole. Fourthly, consciousness, especially in the form of inner awareness, ignites and stimulates the operation of healing intelligence when it makes sustained contact with the deeper psyche. Fifthly, healing intelligence, once engaged with and acknowledged, can reorientate consciousness by requiring attitude and character change. And sixthly, developed healing intelligence manifests itself in the integrative functioning of the whole psyche. The awareness and activation of this wholeness promotes healing. Next question. Does the existence of healing intelligence ensure healing will happen? Healing intelligence, conceived as originating in the self, big S, is a necessary but not sufficient requirement for healing to occur. Other necessary factors are character components, such as optimism, emotional intelligence, courage, determination, trust and energy. The arduous work of integration is required to consolidate and actualize the gains offered by the emergence of healing intelligence, which requires the cooperation and availability of consciousness and positive parts of character structure in order to be effective. What is healing in the psyche as an inner process? Healing often takes place naturally and unconsciously in the healthy psyche. For those with a history of trauma and early disturbance, healing energies may be 
depleted or non-operative, in which case strong protective mechanisms may come into existence. Most people naturally seek healing in the first instance from outside sources. When these are unavailable or insufficient, the subject may possibly seek healing within. The journey has four broad stages. Firstly, the honest expression of emotional pain. Secondly, the mobilization of awareness and its focus upon the area of suffering. Thirdly, the alignment to the deep psyche, allowing its healing intelligence to be operative. And fourthly, the integration of its wisdom and guidance into a reforming, growing personality. The task of healing and spiritual growth is to facilitate this inner dynamic rather than simply address the problems of the outer world, important though they are. Is healing available to everybody? It is available to many, though I believe not all. It requires a number of conditions that may be difficult for some to meet. There are some people who cannot engage in introspection, have no empathy, are totally removed from emotions, or have serious psychopathic, psychotic or borderline conditions, making this journey unsought or impossible. It is naive to presume that everyone even wishes for healing and growth. Some have difficulties with various stages of the process, and for them complete healing may be unavailable. Although alignment to the deep psyche is possible, integration capabilities may be blocked. Nevertheless, healing is available to most people, sometimes even to those who seem most removed from it. The world's religions, which have always stressed the healing experience, are testament to this. It is also available to many who have no idea of how such a process works inside of themselves, or how they benefit. Generally, it lies unconscious and freely available in the psyche. Is healing a totally natural process? Yes, it is a natural intelligence, not scientific knowledge constructed by consciousness and applied to the psyche. This does not mean it is automatic. Like healing forces in the body, it can be blocked, damaged or overwhelmed. When blocked, it may take extraordinary measures for it to be activated. Consciousness may learn from the deep psyche what it is proposing in order to affect this healing. Does healing have to be wrapped in arcane images or rituals? Healing can lend itself to ritual and sometimes the arcane, the obscure and the esoteric. Witness many religious ceremonies. One cannot take away its mystery. The methods outlined here and the comments made on the healing process may at times seem surprising but such is the nature of the unconscious. Healing intelligence lies naturally in the psyche. It is not a magical process caused from without, either by therapist or other agency, though of course it may be stimulated by them. Conceptually, the central ingredients of healing processes are easily grasped. Suffering, inner awareness, darkness and light in the psyche are all accessible ideas. The difficulty is, of course, being able to work fruitfully with them. Is healing the same as Jung's concept of the individuation process? The individuation process, starting with an examination of the personal unconscious and the persona, proceeding through the shadow, the anima or animus, 
archetypal alignment and linking to the self, is brought to consciousness, affecting a generalized character reform in the second half of life. It is a general process of healing fundamental wounds. Blocks and distortions are addressed, and a reorientation of consciousness towards the self occurs. Rather than this overall macro, broad brush approach, the emphasis in these podcasts has been on healing as a more particular occurrence. Numerous healing events in life are the stepping stones of the individuation path. Healing is a somewhat secondary concept in Jungian psychology because the concept of individuation occupies centre stage. Once the individuation process is conceived of as having significant healing milestones, then the concept of healing can be brought to the fore. What is its connection to human suffering? Suffering is the entrance to the inner world. Without this, there would be very little inner exploration. Almost everybody approaches psychotherapy in order to deal with emotional suffering. Few come with the explicit purpose of engaging in the development of their personality as conceived by the individuation process. Individuation starts and is fueled by the attempt to overcome such suffering. It is the attempt to heal oneself that characterises an intense, authentic inner journey. Otherwise the danger is that it remains an ungrounded intellectual process. Transformational energy is the healing of suffering. In addition, knowledge of this inner process of healing can be applied to alleviate the emotional and spiritual suffering of others. What is meant by the word soul? Is it the same meaning as the word spiritual? Soul, from my point of view, may be thought of as the deepest area of the human psyche where attachment longings meet the numinous. Attachment refers to our feelings of love and all matters of the heart. It includes sexuality, insofar as it is linked with love, as well as the longing for transcendence. It connects one to a field far greater than the conscious self and ego. The word spiritual in these podcasts, therefore, means soul activity. It includes deep intuition, transformative feelings, revelation, illuminative experience and love. It requires suspending the dominant functions and elaborate defences of the ego. Does healing require a conscious engagement with the soul? Healing intelligence in a healthy psyche is operative all the time unless it is blocked. For the most part, it is unconscious. In many other cases, healing takes place as a result of healthy and particularly loving interaction with others, more easily observed in a psyche which already has a degree of love within it. Thus, in the majority of cases, there is no conscious engagement with the soul. But there are many instances of emotional wounds which do not heal by the above natural means. In these cases, an active engagement with the soul is often required. This means, therefore, the deepest attachment needs are brought to the surface and explored. Wounds are brought into consciousness. Sexuality is examined, as well as all desires and longings for partnership. Insofar as this involves the healing of love wounds and the contacting of the higher forces of the psyche, 
such as transcendental intuition, then the soul is involved. Genuine spiritual longings gain great help from a conscious engagement with the soul. What is its connection to human darkness, the shadow area of the psyche? Dealing with human darkness is, naturally, the single most important ethical problem. It is foolish for any system of ideas, philosophy or religion to think it has the upper hand over the dark areas of the human psyche. While the Jungian method of working with the shadow can be profound, in my view this is only for a minority of people who undergo an extensive journey of self-reflection. The most common way for the human shadow to be dealt with is by systems of religion and law, which have rules and social structures. Bearing this in mind, the Jungian method, and the one I adhere to, looks not to condemn the shadow, but strives to bring it into consciousness, to integrate it. It focuses on psychological development rather than control. Some of the case studies described here have shown that if the shadow is approached with a clear inner awareness, then it reveals both a meaning and a light which was previously hidden. It also contains within itself hidden, protected and complex emotions. Light is, as it were, locked up in the shadow, or to use more psychological terms, repressed but positive feelings may lie within the negative complex, although a strong, protective, negative defence may cover them. In the work of healing, just as in the individuation journey, working with the unacknowledged or repressed areas of the psyche is vital for progress. Can healing be achieved alone? Psychological development stages take place in a social context. The healing process, for the vast majority of people, also takes place in such a context, especially through loving interaction with others. Those who require specialist help, guidance and support, such as from psychotherapists, are also in a social relationship, which is crucial for healing and integration. Thus healing, in this respect, is very difficult to accomplish alone. However, certain stages of the individuation journey can only take place on one's own. The becoming of one's own unique self and the establishing of a dynamic ego-self axis require a joining up of oneself from within. It can't be done by imitating someone else. This is distinct from seeking wholeness as a unity with others outside of oneself. It is neither imitation nor modelling. One needs to be cautious, however, about exaggerating the extent of such inner work, especially for younger people, since it is totally natural that human beings should seek to fulfil themselves in a love relationship. No amount of psychotherapy will compensate for this need. However, once the early development stages, relationship and possibly reproduction are completed, the rites of passage in the first half of life, further progress requires individual development and hopefully one can become less needy of external support. There is therefore a natural balance and dynamic between social relatedness and individual development at different life stages. In particular, 
healing processes as well as investigative exploration and meditation in the early stages benefit greatly from being done with another person or in a group. Synergies are clearly noticeable. In the later stages of life, providing the earlier stages are completed, a more individual approach to the inner world is required. Are psychological defences a part of healing? Psychological defences are a form of protection against emotional pain, but are not part of the healing process. The psychoanalytic literature, which has pioneered our understanding of this, distinguishes two major types. Primary defences, such as psychotic denial, delusional projection, and severe splitting, defend the embryonic self before the emergence of an ego, or when the ego is very young and vulnerable. And these defences are therefore embedded in the personality and are radical. Secondary defences occur later when the ego has been more formed. And these secondary defences defend the ego from destabilisation and threat from either within, the id in the Freudian schema, or without, that is from the environment. Clearly, primary defences indicate early and more serious damage. They prevent healing by dividing the psyche into fractured and split-off parts, and therefore the fundamental healing intelligence is inaccessible. Secondary defences, such as repression, projection, regression, denial, rationalisation, sublimation, etc., prevent healing by their protection of the ego, thus impeding the healing forces of the deep psyche. Healing requires that defences are dropped and rigidity lessens so its intelligence can work. Are there defences, resistances or blocks to healing? There are many sources of resistance or opposition to the healing process. These include an overdeveloped consciousness or rationality, blocking the emotional and intuitive nature of the deeper psyche parts of the deeper psyche actively resisting the healing impulse, a lack or failure at any stage of the transformation process, for example, an inability to link to the deeper psyche or to integrate, a dominant depression or pessimism destroying any creative impulse to heal and transform, the difficulty of exchanging the external world or family circumstances in one's life which underpin and cause the problem one is suffering from, the power of addiction, an identification with the negative side of one's personality, the lack of access to proper knowledge, encouragement, help or energy required to undergo the transformational process, cultural factors that are antagonistic to this way of thinking, as found in either materialistic societies, or its opposite, a society heavily based on a rigid religious system, also represses the natural healing intelligence. In short, resistance and impediments to healing and growth can be pervasive and deep-rooted, both in oneself, one's family or one's society. By what energy are these blocks to healing shifted? Unblocking of healing and transformative energy mainly takes place as a result of two factors. Firstly, 
the desire to diminish, finish with, or transform the intensity of personal suffering provides the essential motivation for change. Secondly, the mobilization of healing energy, released sources in the deeper psyche, previously neglected or repressed, provide the force for change. Within psychotherapy, the commitment, energy and belief of the practitioner are synergistic with the release of healing energy in the client. Next question. How can we identify healthy material from the unconscious? Healthy material helping the healing process, that is. Not all dreams, visions or contact with the unconscious reveal healthy material. However, healthy content can be recognised by its guidance function, extraordinary intuition, requirements for self-responsibility and change. It is also charged with meaning. The metaphors and symbols of important contents of the unconscious are multi-layered. Frequently, dreams and unconscious contents are witty, structured as film or theatre scenes, which have extraordinary locations, stories and images. These contents of the deep psyche are largely concerned with the personal world of the subject. They not only represent problems of the past and present, but look to the future, suggesting solutions, which are usually to do with adaptations of the subject's character. Healthy contents from the deep psyche, therefore, are frequently purposive and intentional, so the subject can move forward. Are there transcendent sources of healing lying in the human psyche? There are different sources of healing in the psyche. Some are very human and generally to do with catharsis, sharing and loving interaction with others. There are also, as Jung and Asagioli insisted, other sources of healing that are experienced as transcendent, awesome and numinous, connecting one to forces outside of the normal conscious field. In Jungian terminology, there is a connection to the archetype of the self, which lies outside of the ego. This connection promotes intuition, illumination and transformative feeling functions, which have an extraordinary dimension and occur in visionary and dream states central to the healing journey. Are these sources sufficient for healing to take place? As powerful as they are, these are frequently insufficient since there needs to be an integration of the material coming from these sources involving a reworking of the character of those who experience them. Without this integration, the numinous experiences can evaporate and fade. However, their role in the healing process is essential. How is integration vital to the healing process? The full healing process in psychotherapy broadly conceived is in three parts. Firstly, contacting the deep emotions and complexes so as to allow their full expression. Secondly, aligning oneself to the deep psyche and establishing a healthy ego-self axis. And thirdly, integration of this material resulting from this meeting with the deeper psyche, which involves character reform. All three parts are necessary. Without integration, the work of the previous stages remains limited and unfulfilled. Can Eastern methods, such as meditation and chakra work, 
be integrated with psychotherapy of a spiritual dimension. Any spiritual work truly aligning consciousness to the deep psyche, be it meditation, chakra work or yoga, and many more from the East, can be incorporated with in-depth psychological exploration. Any method which activates inner awareness so that it contacts the deep psyche and allows its expression is a potential ally. However, the psychotherapy session should not turn into solely a meditation session or chakra or yoga exercise. Psychotherapy must take the lead. This applies not only to their positioning in the therapy session, that is, meditation or chakra exercises should only be a part of the session, but also in the way in which they are approached. For example, breathing and inner awareness methods can be used to approach core complexes and emotional pain. They are used to temporarily bypass the ego, suspend the conscious mind, create a still listening space, and approach the troubled area of the psyche with one's inner awareness. These meditation, chakra or yoga methods in the type of psychotherapy envisaged here are not to avoid the areas of suffering, but on the contrary to confront them and give them the maximum chance of healing. Integration is often the most difficult, neglected, yet underestimated aspect of the journey. In those cases where someone wishes to engage in a fuller, more intensive exploration of such techniques as yoga or meditation, a spiritual group is more appropriate. Psychotherapy sessions are not principally spiritual exercises and should deal with the nitty-gritty of human psychology and complexes. The examination of suffering is their focus. One way of incorporating a meditative type practice, called the scan, into sessions has been described. Scans are preceded by considerable psychotherapeutic investigation of complexes, bringing them into consciousness, understanding their origins and functioning, and are followed by the work of integration. The method is therefore thoroughly in line with psychotherapeutic procedure. Its purpose is to facilitate the stage of the healing journey called the alignment of the deep psyche. There may be many methods of achieving this, but all are variations on a theme. The centering of consciousness around the contents of the deep psyche. Practitioners who use other or similar techniques such as dance, playwork, drama, drawing, active imagination, experiential focusing, other meditation techniques, yoga and so on, may formulate their own methods of integrating it with the psychotherapy they practice. Indeed, I accept that there should be no one method advocated for accessing the unconscious. There is no single right way, and individual practitioners should develop their techniques from their own healing experience. According to this way of thinking, there will be many different methods employed by different practitioners, reflecting the different paths of their own healing and development. As soon as psychotherapy training insists dogmatically on fixed practices, then the path to the deep psyche is impeded. However, when many tens of thousands of practitioners are offering their services, one can understand the pressures for uniformity, accountability and transparency. But standard methods will not produce deep healing. Nevertheless, I believe there should be a shared context underlying whatever method is used to access the deep psyche. This includes this substantive work of analysis and integration that proceeds and follows this access and alignment to the deep psyche.
Is active imagination a very different process from meditation in contacting the deep psyche? Active imagination, a method personally favoured by Jung, involves a creative dialogue with the contents of the unconscious, especially with figures from the inner world. This occurs after the conscious, ego-dominated mind is suspended and the full emotional encounter with complexes and personal material eventually reveals the contents of the archetypal core. At this point, a new positioning of the centre of the psyche, the transcendent function, closer to the pole of the self, now takes place. The meditation type or experiential focusing techniques are gentler, but still involve the suspending of normal consciousness and stress the method of inner awareness. This likewise facilitates the creative encounter with inner complexes and archetypal material. These are two different methods for achieving very similar ends. How does integration work? Its essence is the fuller acceptance of all layers of feeling concerning wounds and complexes. It requires complete honesty and courage not only to realise these layers, but to accept and then integrate them, which means to build them into one's consciousness so they are always accessible, not buried, denied or split off. The core process is an inner journey, a self-exploration, to examine what is really there and integrate it. There is a difference between doing this with one's conscious mind dominant and doing it with one's inner awareness switched on. The latter is the more effective path. Emotional and psychological health are required to work with this material and integrate it, a process of remembering. Spiritual components of the psyche may be activated to facilitate this process. This description refers to the integration of unconscious components with consciousness. One realises and integrates the area of suffering. There are deeper, more esoteric aspects of integration by which different parts of the psyche become integrated with each other. For example, the heart chakra may integrate, that is, join with, another area such as the solar plexus chakra bearing the pain. Or the brow chakra may integrate with a blocked throat chakra where a depression or despair may lie. These integrations can have excellent results upon complexes and areas of suffering. Again, the powerful vehicle for such change is inner awareness. The extent to which, firstly, consciousness unites, integrates, with parts of the deep psyche, and secondly, different parts of the deep psyche link with each other, marks the progress of integration. Since the drive for such integration comes from outside of ego consciousness and can be seen in dreams and visualizations to derive from the deep psyche, then it follows that there is an archetype of order and growth, pushing for realization, which can only happen when consciousness recognizes, accepts and integrates this entelechy, this movement to actualization towards purposive growth to what the psyche is meant to be. That is all for this question and response session. Next week we will have another one in which we give responses to the following questions. 
Can Christianity be integrated with such healing processes? Can all religions be integrated with a spiritually orientated psychotherapy? Are there particular psychological aptitudes or skills favouring the work of psychotherapy and healing? What is the role of the psychotherapist in the healing process? Is psychotherapy necessary for healing in the psyche to take place? Can psychotherapy also be a block to this healing process? Is it necessary to adopt a model such as the archetypes of the collective unconscious to achieve healing? Can all wounds be healed? What is the wounded healer? In what way can those on a spiritual path benefit from psychotherapy? Does psychological type influence the healing process? How is healing connected with individuation and wholeness? And finally, what has love and death got to do with it? I hope you can join me for this.